Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New England Patriots. This is the Patriots Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Patriots Wire editor, Henry McKenna. Welcome to the show, and let us be the first to wish you and yours a happy Thanksgiving. Quick shout out to our listeners. Subscribe. Find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, whatever works best for you. Search the Patriots Wire. We're easy to find. The subscribe button is greatly appreciated. Henry, we had a mini bye week, right? Kind of. Like, how's your weekend watching the AFC continue to fall right into the Patriots' lap? It's like, it's kind of remarkable how this keeps happening. I got a rare Sunday where I could just sit back and watch Red Zone, which I like, never get to do because I spend most of the day watching Patriots and then writing about the Patriots. And so I got a fun opportunity to just watch the entire NFL. But it was kind of an ugly week of football. I didn't feel like there were a ton of high-quality games and so I just ate a lot of chicken wings and drank some beer and enjoyed myself in that way. <laughs> I had the most random weekend ever where I was in Buffalo at the Bills game. <laughs> my bro- oh, nice. Yeah, my brother-in-law is a diehard Bills fan, and I have a buddy That's who has fun. season tickets. So we took his season tickets, picked out this game way ahead of time. We were up there, and I'll tell you, Henry, it was kind of random and, and kind of awesome being a Patriots fan sitting in that stadium incognito. I was wearing like a Buffalo Bills just pom-pom hat. watching. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just watching them drown in their own tears and they are <laughs> so rattled. They are so rattled that they're in second yeah. place of the Patriots. It's a real thing in Buffalo. They are so rattled, I mean, those fans. That's a real collapse. The yeah. Patriots starting 2-4 and four and all of a sudden taking over and now really sitting in a power position because if they can win both of these matchups, they have uh, in the next four weeks, they have two matchups against the Bills, and it doesn't really feel like the Bills have the upper hand. It, re- it really feels like the Patriots have the upper hand at this point, yeah. where New England yeah. is starting to surge. I think the Pats are a bad matchup for the Bills, and we'll get into that when we play them You know, twice in four weeks here coming up. But I'll just tell you, when I say that, because I was in the stadium, and when I say that fans were leaving late second quarter and halftime, I mean, fans were leaving. That stadium was like half full in the third quarter, and it was empty and only Colts fans by the fourth quarter. It was crazy. Those fans are not happy, and they're fed up, and they're scared, and they're rattled by the Patriots. But we'll get into all that. We can make fun of the Bills fans later on. Um, Here's where I want to start, (laughs) uh, Henry, this week is this is just a random thing I was thinking about the other day. Like The way Belichick has built this roster, I know you have a lot of opinions on this and insight into this, like I, I couldn't even think about who their highest paid player was for this year. And, you know, I, I think on average annual value, it, it could be different than this. But I just looked up their cap for this year. I'm like, who's their highest paid player? I can't. Shaq Mason. Who is it? It was Dante Hightower, which I guess makes some sense. And then Devin McCourty was second highest paid based on a cap hit for 2021. That makes sense. Two long tenured former first round pick Super Bowl champs, well-respected guys in the room. And I just started thinking about it. It's like, 
a lot of teams pay, you know, the fran- if you look at the franchise tag number for a cornerback, it's $17.5 million. Well, the Patriots have J.C. Jackson, who's one of the best corners in football, and they're paying him uh, less than $3.5 million for this year. And then, then the quarterback, obviously, every team, you know, half the teams in the league are paying huge contracts for these quarterbacks. Well, the Patriots have Mac Jones on his rookie deal. Like he's going to be paying, he's going to be getting between like three and 5 million a year going forward. Right. Really, really reasonable. And he's already performing in like top 15, top 10 in the league. It's ridiculous. Same with offensive linemen, wide receiver. I guess you could complain about Nelson Aguilar's contract if you're not happy with that, but they're not overpaying for wide receivers. Even Matthew Judon, who they gave a big contract to, they're not overpaying for him. I think they're ahead of the market on Matthew Judon for his production, right? So I just look at like the way this roster's constructed, how the money's kind of spread out. And I know it's a, a weight a little bit heavily to this this current free agent class to an extent, but like, I don't know. This just feels like the way Belichick drew it up on a whiteboard, uh, Henry, right? And, and I think the quarterback playing this well r- really feeds into this, and J.C. Jackson really plays into this, but like, how do you feel about when you look at this roster construction from the outside? It really does feel like this is like this has to be one of Belichick's favorite rosters he's ever had. Just the way it's all spread out and constructed. The weird thing about this roster actually is that Dante Hightower isn't the highest paid player this year. Stefan Gilmore is. Gilmore, <laughs> oh, the dead money. Cap. <laughs> yeah, but he's getting paid that. That's like real. I, we call it dead money, but he got paid $10 million this year. <laughs> that's ridiculous. It's so, a good point. Yeah. So that's um, a factor, I, I suppose. We call it really. dead money, Isn't but not it? Robert Kraft. He doesn't call it dead money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Robert Kraft calls it. Well, he might call it dead money too, but he's got, still got to spend it. Yep. But yeah, I think basically we are not used to this in New England because for so many years, Tom Brady was the salary cap anchor i'd say because he's kind of making about he was always making a lot of money and like some years he it was, the deal was better than others but he was pretty much always the highest paid player on the patriots so that's how the patriots had to build their roster was they had this big expensive quarterback at the center of it all and every year brady was worth it but that that's just one style of roster building and that's how belichick worked for years, for decades. the What they're doing now is actually what is more popular around the NFL um, in terms of rebuilding. Now, obviously, if you find your quarterback, whether it's Russell Wilson or Tom Brady, you want to build around them and their big contract. Dak Prescott most recently yep, and yep. Patrick Mahomes, so on. The Patriots decided to go for a rebuild, and they tried the like veteran discount route with cam newton last year that didn't work they go toward drafting a rookie high and most fans are probably familiar with the the rookie salary uh ceiling or whatever you want to call it i forget the oh the rookie wage scale sorry and that limits the amount that rookies can make even a, a first round draft pick so people like think all the way back to sam bradford he was the last rookie to make a salary prior to the rookie wage scale, he was making an obscene amount of money in his rookie year. It was like, <laughs> so he like immediately jumped to the top. And that's why the NFL decided that it was going to institute this wage scale. So that, you know, this year, Mac Jones, his base salary is $660,000 a year. Um, his cap number is a hair under 3 million, but he's our starting quarterback. So he's making, you know, he's actually making 
less money than Cam Newton is making from the Patriots this year. Cam's cap number is $3.6 million. And I think now that he's signed with the Panthers, that number could go down. But I'm not totally sure. I, I, I got to look that up one more time. What I'm getting at is quarterbacks usually, if you're a good team, are the biggest expense you have. But the Patriots are both good and have a quarterback as one of the sort of like middle of the road expenses. And that's really important because if you have the opportunity to build a team by spending in around the roster, then you have to spend wisely. Because you're like Mac Jones, we've talked a lot about how he's not going to elevate the play of those around him. So you need to develop a roster, game a roster that will elevate the quarterback and that's what Bill Belichick has done. Yes. He took, I mean, there were so many holes on the 2020 team that it might've probably been initially overwhelming for Belichick to figure out how he was going to plug them, but it worked out because he went out and identified a few players who um, did just that Devon Godshow. He's kind of like been a little bit disappointing, but still solid. And then Matthew Judon, Obviously, an absolutely no-brainer, 10 out of 10 signing, even like you said, even though he annually is making more money than anyone else on the roster and then is guaranteed $32 million, that's that's the most money Belichick's ever guaranteed for any player uh, not named Tom Brady. So those additions along the defense, it, it not as voluminous, as the the turnover that happened on offense, but he really picked his spots and he really got good players that immediately upgraded. I think Kyle Van Noy is another one, even though that was like a little later in the free agency process. Jamie Collins too. Just generally like very careful spending and finding players that plugged weaknesses on that defense. Now, where I think it's a less careful spending process is how, how they've constructed the offense. I honestly, so I, I don't know if people rock climb ever or, or do sort of outdoorsman activities, but there's a philosophy where there should be a redundancy in everything that you do, right? Uh, when you build an anchor or you climb, uh, you know, your, your carabiner should have a redundancy, meaning like there should be, it w- in order for you to get hurt, two things would have to fail. Right. Yep. Um, from a safety perspective, I think Bill Belichick applied that philosophy of redundancy to his acquisitions. He knew that it was so important for him to go out there and get a tight end that he got the two best tight ends in free agency and he paid them third most among tight ends in the NFL. Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith making twelve and a half million a piece per year. And they are having different degrees of success. So while John Smith has been a bust, and I can say that with sort of absolute confidence at this point in the season. Yeah, because of the really, the team's using to describe it, right? What was it? A foundational year for John Smith? It's a That's what foundational it? year. For yeah. the, not, for, not for Hunter Henry, though. Nope. He's got nope. seven touchdowns. Yeah, but, but they've but been here the same, the the same amount of time. That. Yeah. Yeah. So for people who didn't see that, um, Josh McDaniels talked about how John o. Smith is undergoing a foundational year. And, mm. and to be fair, McDaniels also said, like, rookies go through that and all free agents. It's just that, like, clearly John o. Smith's foundational year is uh, not quite 
setting as quickly as other members of the free agency class. Nope. But um, that's why I think Bill Belichick did it is because he's got a history of whiffing on defensive players in a way, or sorry, offensive players in a way that I don't think he does quite so much with defensive players. He's just better at IDing talent on the defensive side of the ball. Makes sense. He's a defensive mastermind. He finds cornerbacks like it's nobody's business. And he has a similarly solid track record finding outside linebackers and slightly less success, I'd say, uh, defensive tackle, but but pretty darn good there too. Christian Barmore uh, being sort of the most recent example of success. So anyway, back to this redundancy idea. They were so bad at tight end for the years following Rob Gronkowski. They just they had to hit this year. There was no way that they could have a successful offense without at least one good tight end. So they find two. Even if one fails, they still have a good one. And that's pretty much exactly what's happened is they're heavily reliant on Hunter Henry in the red zone. But it works because they got him. And then, you know, I think similarly, we're seeing Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. They went out and bought it got both those guys and again burying success Kendrick Bourne's actually arguably a better deep threat than Nelson Aguilar because he actually catches the football as opposed to Aguilar who's like on the field running routes but not actually producing it I'm not as you can tell I'm not the biggest fan of that <laughs> yeah. signing yeah yeah that's the one but, that's the blunder right now I guess that and Johnny right. Smith at the moment but again it, it's about redundancy so yep. maybe the Aguilar signing failed but at least Kendrick Bourne has what seems to be a pretty special connection with Mac Jones. They trust each other. That uh, signing is working for the offense. So that I think that's I've kind of like gone all over the place, sort of connecting dots about how this team is built. But essentially, they had a really great opportunity to spend fill holes around Mac Jones, um, even before they knew that Mac Jones would be their quarterback. And they've really just done an excellent job not flawless and you know i think in a year or two if john smith and nelson aguilar really don't do anything those signings will look bad but on the whole it seems like this free agency class is trending positively oh and i didn't even bring up jalen mills but i won't dive too deeply into that because he's cornerback too he's kind of the reason why they've run so much zone a good but not great player but again not very expensive, so they signed him as a potential backup at safety and corner. They ended up needing him at corner, and he's been serviceable at corner. So, again, it's just like Belichick just having the foresight to see where he's weak, see where he's shallow, see where he's got to have help, and going out and attacking those areas and um, doing an effective job with the salary cap space that he had. The anchor now is Mac Jones, even though he's not getting paid, right, Henry? Mac Jones is still the anchor because he's playing and performing at his level, and he's in the first year of his rookie deal. And it's going to allow Belichick to do all these different things with the roster. I just think that's super fascinating. Yeah, I thought this was a productive conversation. And, and it kind of leads me into my next topic, and that's just the buy-in and the the team being kind of taking the coaching and being all together it's kind of fascinating. The players are, it was really, really noticeable in the post game after the Falcons game. And I want to play a clip from Damian Harris and Henry and I will react to that right after we get our fantasy plays of the week from the huddle.com. This is the typical sports book fantasy minute. Let's make this interesting. 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 
Wishing everyone a happy Thanksgiving. I'm Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com, here to bring you strong plays for Week 12. Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson at the Washington football team. It feels weird to include him here because most people will suffer through his struggles, but the star passer has not gone over 11.3 fantasy points in each of his two games since returning from finger surgery. Wilson doesn't even have a touchdown pass in those two games. The Washington defense has allowed seven quarterbacks to post 27-plus fantasy points in 2021, and five times the signal caller has accounted for three-plus touchdowns. This presents a great chance for Wilson to get back on track. Houston Texans running back Rex Burkhead versus New York Jets. No team has been softer against running backs in the last five weeks than New York. The position has steamrolled this unit, going for 123 rushing yards per game, the second most, and a touchdown every 9.9 attempts. That's the highest frequency. The veteran back saw a team-high 18 carries last week, but he did average 2.2 per tote. That said, 15 to 18 carries versus this defense would make Burkhead an intriguing gamble for your flex spot. Understand what kind of risk you're taking, but it does help a little bit after Philip Lindsay was released. Wide receiver Kendrick Bourne, New England Patriots versus the Tennessee Titans. Bourne has caught four passes in four of the last six games, including two touchdowns, and he has averaged 12.1 PPR points over that span. The Titans have allowed 18 receivers to catch at least five passes in 2021, and 11 players went for 17.4 PPR points or more. The Titans have been one of the toughest teams on the ground versus running backs, which could lead to slightly more passing for Mac Jones. Bourne has wide receiver three or better value in most formats. New York Giants tight end Evan Ingram versus the Philadelphia Eagles. On the heels of consecutive games with touchdowns, Ingram had a great matchup versus Tampa Bay, but was held to only 12 yards on two catches, despite being targeted five times. Veteran tight end Kyle Rudolph hobbled off the field late in the game with an ankle injury and his status for Week 12 is uncertain. What is certain? This is the best possible matchup for the position. Philadelphia has granted the most receptions and yards per game to the position, and a touchdown allowed every 10.3 grabs is the ninth highest frequency, coming in the volume of four scores over the last five games. All things Giants passing game amounts to risk, but there's plenty of reward here if you're willing to take the chance. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522. 4700 in Colorado. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Being out here with these guys and playing with this team, um, I think it's very evident um, to you guys, everybody that watches us play, how much we care about one another, um, how hard we play for each other. Um, no guy goes out there and plays hard for themselves. Everybody's playing for each other. We're playing for this team. And, you know, the love and the camaraderie, the brotherhood that we have in that locker room is so special. So just being able to go back out there and be out there with those guys, um, I couldn't have been any happier. And, you know, I was just I'm very fortunate to be a part of this team and to be able to step back out on the field that, with them tonight. You know, it was uh, it was huge for me. So there's Damian Harris, Henry, after the uh the Falcons game on last Thursday night. Now, I spent 12 years of my life covering high school sports here in New Hampshire. 
And that's what the Patriots kind of sound to me. Like, they sound to me like they sound like high school kids, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's like these talking points. And Damian Harris just said all of these basically, like we love each other, we're in this together, we're a family, it's a brotherhood, right? Like, I don't know. I think back to that reaction that team had to Jacoby Myers' first career touchdown. Like they go crazy. And you know, we talked about how we loved how the team was like sliding down in bounds at the end of that Chargers game, just showing that they're the the wheels were turning and that they were kind of in it. I just kind of like that. It just shows that they're taking the coaching. And everyone's kind of going on and on about these taunting penalties and how they're coming up in these big spots, Henry, and they're ruining the game. Well, the Patriots haven't had one yet. And I, I, keep, I keep watching the Patriots after big plays, and they're just like, this is a real thing. They really do like enjoy playing together. They're, they'd rather celebrate together than rub it in the other team's face. And I just feel like they're taking the coaching and then they're all kind of, they really are all in this together. And it's like, it's corny as hell, but it's like, I think this is a real thing. Like, I think we got to start believing this. Like they really have like a thing going here. And while I do hate the commentary that this is quote, Belichick's greatest coaching job ever. Cause God, we got to relax. We're 11 games into a season. The, the Patriots went to nine Super Bowls in the last two decades. Like, can we pump the brakes a little bit? But still, you got to give Belichick his, his props because he has got this team believing in something, right? They believe they, they're, they're eating up everything he's selling. And it's, that's, a, that's a good sign for a Patriots fan. I look back to the two and four crossroads that this team had where that was the week that I think we even played the Johnny Smith sound on the podcast. They were kind of like defending themselves, being like, we're not a two and four team. We're, we're a way better football team than our record says. And I was being, you know, skeptical Hank and being like, cool. It's like really nice of you that you think that of yourself, but like show it. But here we are six games or what are we now? <laughs> five games later. And we actually see that they were better than what they were saying and that they've gotten so much better since then. It's not just that they that at the time they were that much better. Over the last five games, they've really progressed in like knowing what they're good at and really executing. When you go back to that two and four moment, it could have broken this team. They, they were facing playoff odds down like in the 20s percent of making the playoffs. They, they, they were basically getting statistically counted out. The media was counting them out, starting to even it almost started to feel sort of like foolhardy to think they were going to pull off a playoff run. And they didn't think so. They, I mean, they, they really stuck with each other. And Bill Belichick, I think, really impressed upon them that they were a good football team and they were going to make the playoffs if they put in the work. But I think he also went to some of the players in the locker room and this is something that um, MMQB's Albert Breer suggested happened. Belichick approached players like Damian Harris, and I imagine Trewan Bentley was one of the players that, that Belichick might have approached, Kyle Van Noy, Matt Judon, and obviously, you know, I think to a degree, Mac Jones. Players who weren't necessarily first in line to be leaders on this team, but needed to be them. And Belichick said, look, you know, we have a leadership void. Tom Brady's gone. Cam Newton's gone. Stephon Gilmore's gone. The best players, you know, and the most important players are, are gone. And they needed, you know, emotional support. And I think that got more players buying in. 
because they were like, well, now I'm a leader. This leadership role is distributed among you know 10 players. And they, they started being more vocal. And, and, you know, I think that brought it together. Like not only did they go through adversity, but they brought themselves through adversity. The coaches put the accountability in their hands and all of a sudden the wins were about them. Um, and that's just like good coaching on Belichick's standpoint. But I think like you look at that win that they had over the Jets and we were laughing at it like, oh, whatever, it went over the Jets, who cares? I don't know. I'm I was impressed. Sure. Remember, I was more impressed than you that week. I remember I was true, like 54, true. 54. Yeah, I was excited. Right. And Belichick was like stoked. He was in like the best mood ever. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was because he, he'd been preaching this message to them that was like, leadership's important. Execution is important. The results will come because you guys are good. And I think he was just pleased after that game because he was, he knew that like he was right. Like he, he didn't have to BS his players. He now had evidence to prove to them, you know, overall, you guys are, you're going to be one of the best teams in, in football. Just give it a few weeks. Just start winning a few games for me here. And by the time the season, you know, we're in late season and snow starts to fall and we're starting to, you know, fight for playoffs. You guys are going to be one of the best teams in the league. And I think, I think that was when Belichick like kind of bought in himself too. He yeah, probably sure, realized sure. like he realized that he wasn't BSing them, that he was, that they were actually going to pull this one off. I mean, it's amazing. Like it's not only guys like Damian Harris, who we heard in that clip or other established vets like Devin McCourty, but it's like Mac Jones, Kendrick Bourne, Matthew Judon saying stuff like this. It's a brotherhood. We're a family. It's like, you guys just got here. What do you mean you're a brotherhood? You're a family, right? I mean, they in short order, they have like developed this thing. They sound like they've been together for a decade, Henry. That, that's why it's just so, it's like jarring to me. I, again, it's like the high school kid. It's, it's, it's like these guys are in class and they've grown up together. And no, that's not the case. They've been together for like half a year, six months, whatever it is. Right? They haven't been together that long. So I don't know. As cheesy as that thing is, I buy into it. I buy into it. I think when you think about the Patriots' chances to contend, the brotherhood thing, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe I'm taking the cheese, but I, I believe I'm buying all of that stuff. I mean, I, I, I'm glad. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too much of a cynic here. Doesn't do I much for you. I know. Yeah, it doesn't do much for it's you. It's a little too much. It's also, <laughs> I, I just think like Belichick's just like behind it all, like pretending to be like he's engineering all these social dynamics, telling them what to so say. So I'm like. <laughs> I'm like less heartwarmed by it because I'm just like, this is what Belichick thinks is best for his team to win this year is like really bringing them together. So I'm like, I don't know. It's like a cute way that the, uh, the means are, are like cuter than the ends. That if it makes any sense, like sometimes we say the ends justify the means, yeah. but in this, in this case, it's like, Oh, it's nice that the means are, are kind of justifying the ends. I don't know. I'm just that's, being, that's I'm nice. being the Grinch. Yeah, yeah. Got to get my Grinch stuff out before <laughs> Thanksgiving comes, and because then I have to get into jolly uh, holiday mode. Yeah, and I'm just playing the role of gobble Patriots fan, um, as usual, <laughs> taking all the cheese. Um, all right, coming up next, Henry and I are going to look at the Patriots Titans game. This line has spiraled out of control in the Patriots' favor. We'll talk about what that is right after this. This is the typical sports book minute. Let's make this interesting. 
What's up? This is Jeff Clark from the Bet Slippin' Podcast presented by SportsbookWire.com. I'm here with my handicap and homie Nathan Beagle to break down this week's Sunday night football game between the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens are favored three and a half. The total is 45 and a half. I'm on the Cleveland Browns getting three and the hook. Football Outsiders actually grades the Browns higher than the Baltimore. I think it could be a get right spot for Cleveland's offense playing against a banged up uh, Baltimore defensive line and a banged up Baltimore secondary. Nate, how do you see this game playing out? So Baltimore averages the most rushing yards per game and the Browns are giving up more than 165 per game. Give me Lamar in the points. Also, the Browns have not lost by less than three this season. Three and a half it is. That was your typical Sportsbook Minute. For a limited time, new users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Henry Pats. Somehow we're the number three seed in the AFC. And the Titans, our next opponent here, just lost to the freaking Texans, the Houston Texans. Could not believe that. So the Patriots, from over the weekend, I believe on Tipico, they were three and a half point favorites at home, which is a reasonable number. That line has now ballooned to six and a half and climbing against the Titans. I think it moved another point this morning. So this is an interesting matchup. You know, Mike Vrabel... He's always been kind of tough against Belichick in the Pats. Like, he's just not intimidated, and he's usually sharp and has his team ready to go, right? And, you know, I, I know the Titans blew games against the Jets and the Texans this year, but I, I just don't expect them to just completely have a no-show in this game. And they don't have Derrick Henry. And I'm sure the Patriots can scheme something up to confuse Ryan Tannehill. And, yeah, I could talk myself into loving the Patriots. They're on fire. I could really talk myself into loving the Patriots at home in this game, but this line is getting out of control for me. Six and a half, six and a half for the Titans of Mike Vrabel, a team that's got eight wins. And they could be more if they didn't just completely crap themselves against the Jets and the Texans. They'd have more than that. They have some really good wins on their schedule. They're a hard team to figure out, Henry, but I just, this line, six and a half. Oh, I'm scared. I'm scared of this line. I don't know if I would bet it, but what do you think? I think this is a game where both the, the teams kind of regress to the mean, where the Patriots have been surging playing out of their minds and like we just talked about in the last segment playing emotionally like for each other to upend the narrative the narrative is starting to fade (laughs) this whole like us against the world (laughs) like at a certain point they have to see that they're third best in the afc and first in the afc east and like again this is bill belichick managing emotions because like he'd never let them feel like they're any good even the 2007 undefeated all but the super bowl undefeated patriots they would go into meeting every week and feel like they stunk (laughs) teddy bruski has told that story many a time yeah uh belichick just beat up on them so i i think there's an element of that but like at some point i feel like a letdown game is kind of coming 
And the Titans seem like a good candidate for that because they're coming off one of their own. And, you know, it's pretty you, – you would think that, like, they'll come out firing for this one. They show up in Gillette and, you know, really all they're missing is a running game. And, and they don't need – I mean, they like, obviously, Derrick Henry was at the core of what they did. But you don't necessarily need a Derrick Henry to win in the NFL. I mean, I, they, I think they just need a little more confidence on the ground. Even, like, look at the game against the Saints. Like, they, they were – Splitting up carries between Foreman, Peterson, and Nichols, they're they're kind of trifecta. And now they have a, a new guy, Dante Hilliard, who they just signed off the practice squad because he was so good last week uh, as sort of like a dual threat catching and running back. That group, they did just enough where, you know, it could set up the passing game to a degree. Like the Titans, they just need to like pivot a little bit from an offensive identity standpoint. And I don't think that's like crazy to do when you have AJ AJ Brown on your offense. Now he, he's dealing with an injury; he got banged up last week. But I think that I think that they are going to play better. Basically, like they have too much talent not to play better. And um, losing Derrick Henry is a big problem, but also running backs are replaceable, even if they are Derrick Henry. That's just like what analytics say, and it's been proven time and time again. So I think. The Titans show up, unlike what they did against the Texans. And I think the Patriots, they look a little bit slower and a little lackluster compared to normal. And we might just see a pretty darn tight contest. Playoff atmosphere, I think this is going to be determined by three points probably. And I can see Mac Jones struggling against this defense. So much versatility in the front seven with their linebackers. And what do we always say about Tom Brady? What beats him? It's interior pressure. And that's what Jeffrey Simmons, who's basically the star of this Tennessee defense, that's what he brings. He's a freak. He can just absolutely destroy a game, total game record. And he's going to be coming up the interior for the Titans on Sunday. And I think he could cause some negative plays and maybe even some turnover plays, which is basically how you beat the Patriots. You put them in a position where they feel like they have to throw the ball. And then, you know, Mac Jones is inconsistent and can't quite pull off a a fourth quarter comeback or, or can't really quite compete in a shootout. So I think that's the recipe that this game kind of stays close. And I, and I, if I were betting on this, I would, I would probably take the Titans to cover that far too widespread yeah six and a half is, is too many points i i would say if it climbs anymore and it's been climbing if it climbs to seven plus i think it's an automatic titans bet um yeah. six and a half i still think i would i would definitely lean that way uh the the line was fine before three and a half like it just it just feels like an overreaction feels like an overreaction that titans lost to the texans uh, i'm not saying the patriots can't win the game i think they can definitely win this game at home i just don't expect them to blow them out right mike Vrabel. He's got a clue. He's a good coach. And the last time the Titans had a really bad loss, which is to the Jets, right? They rattled off like a bunch of really impressive wins in a row, including Chiefs, Bills, Colts, right? So I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not just going to sit here and say, all right, the Titans lost to the Texans, so the Pats are going to blow them out, baby. You know, like I'm not, I'm not playing that game. I think this line's gotten a little crazy, six and a half. So I'm expecting, uh, 
I'm expecting a slugfest just like you, Henry. But, you know, should be fun right after Thanksgiving. Um, Have a great holiday, man, you and your family, all right? Likewise. uh, Appreciate you and appreciate everyone for listening. I hope that you all have a wonderful holiday. Eat yourself until you're happy and then eat some more. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.